and so there's no reason to go home. This is the last one for the month, is it? And for the year. Yeah. Wow. So could we add December's one onto tonight? And the, no, we won't do that. But thanks, Lottie and Lozzie, for having me. It's really great to be here. I'll give you the bottle top. Uh, really good to be here tonight. And, and when, when you were talking about guinea pigs, I was thinking, are the kids guinea pigs? Or No, no, you're real kids and all that. I, lo- I love the story about Sri Lanka when I was in Kenya. It was our last day, actually, in Kenya. And um, we were preaching in a little church there. And, and uh, they came up and had a box with gifts inside. And we're about to go from the church service to the international airport and fly home. To, at that time, I was in New Zealand. And uh, in the box were two little live rabbits. I'm going to think, like, they're going to get through customs pretty easy, aren't they? So I think they became the drivers. Well, there's children here, but <laughs> pets. You know, <laughs> the driver looked after them for us anyway. So uh, it's great to be here. Look, uh, for those of you that haven't met me before or, or uh, heard my story in 2013, I was diagnosed with motor neuron disease. They gave me uh, 27 months to live, and that was like 46 months ago. So I've lived uh, nearly 20 months uh, longer than they anticipated and expected, which is really good. Good to see you, Megs. And, uh, but it, it's, it, it was one of those diagnoses. Does anyone know what motor neuron disease? You know, the ice bucket campaign and all of that kind of stuff. The, Motor neuron disease is a disease that kills all the motor neurons in your body, and they're the, the, the transporters, I guess, from your brain and your spinal cord to your muscles that keep your muscles moving and active and operating. And so as they die, obviously, your muscles can no longer move, and if they can't move, they then, uh, I guess, deteriorate, and you find yourself unable to walk or unable to move your arms or talk or swallow. And if you can't swallow, you can't eat, and... Uh, and then your lungs are a, a muscle as well, so eventually you can't breathe. And uh, so you're, you're, you're eating through a peg in your stomach and breathing with uh, whatever means you can. And uh, most people die within 27 months of diagnosis. When I say most, that's 95% of people who are diagnosed with motor neuron disease die within 27 months of their diagnosis. And um, in fact, we've had people who have been diagnosed a year after me and, and like, I, I did their funeral like seven, nine months ago. So that's how quick the disease can actually go through your body. But it was January 2013, and, and Lottie will say, you know, I was in charge of the whole district here. In fact, uh, two districts at the same time, and things were going really well. Church 180 was had already bought its new building in Hunter Street. We had the Royal Theatre, and I know that some of you were uh, going to the church at that stage and, and now find yourself in a better church here. <laughs> wasn't that politically really nicely said and um and we, the church was going great we we're meeting all of our 2020 vision we we're going ahead and uh, the church was growing people were coming into the life of the church we'd gone from 50 to over 700 in a few years and we were just growing and growing and growing and so life was very colorful you know, our children were now living with us, and uh, and uh, they were they were or not living with us, but living in the same area. One was in Melbourne; they'd moved up, and so we're all in Newcastle together. Families growing together. We're in ministry together, and things were really great. If you were looking at our world, you'd say, "Wow, your world was filled with colour," and it was until January 2013, when in one day, one voice 
a few words, motor neuron disease, and suddenly all the color is taken out of your life. Uh, you are no longer in charge of the district. You no longer have a church. You're no longer a pastor, no longer getting a salary, no longer uh, are you finding a sense of self-worth and security in the things that you're doing because there's nothing you can do. The, the diagnosis was go home and, and die. Just go home and get your affairs into order because eventually you're going to die and this will be the progression of the disease in your body and, uh, and it's not going to be good. And so you can imagine for the first few months, life was really, really just black and white, if not gray. And uh, one of my daughters, you know, girls handle it in different stages. And uh, one of my daughters, she'll tell you, she uh, actually went home to bed and she didn't get up for many, many days. She was just curled up in a fetal position in her bed and they couldn't get her out of bed. She had to go to a wedding one day. About two weeks later, she went to the wedding, can't remember the service. Her husband was actually officiating at the service and uh, she can't remember anything about the service. And, and then she, he just said, look, I better take you home. She went home, got back into bed and covered herself up. Went into bed with the high heels on and the, the wedding dress, the clothes that she was dressed in. And, uh, and, and that was how our world was over those few months. So I'm telling you that to tell you that no matter what your life is going through and no matter how difficult your life may seem, it is possible when all the color is drained out of your world to get the color back. And I want to help you tonight to understand that things happen in life that drain everything, all the resource out of our life, all the strength and the energy at times, all, all that we need to get up in the morning and move forward but I want to tell you, if you've got God in your life, there's a way to bring all of that color back. Even if the circumstances don't change, God can change you on the inside for the circumstance. And I'm here to help you understand that and help you grow in the understanding of that. And I guess um, when I was uh, in Morocco about 25 years ago, I was in Morocco on a missions trip as well and traveling from Gibraltar and through to the northern end of uh, Morocco into Rabat, uh, we pulled in a tea house. This was like, as I said, 25 years ago. Uh, it wasn't a coffee house because they had peppermint tea and, and loads and loads of sugar and all of that kind of stuff. And so I'm sitting there drinking this peppermint tea and I see a painting on the wall. And I think, I want that painting. I want to buy that painting. So I asked, who owns the painting? And the owner of the cafe or the, the tea house owned the painting. I said, I want to buy it. Can I buy it? And he goes, no, no, not for sale, not for sale. So we went away, and on the way back through, I thought, I've got one more chance to buy that painting. Let's go there again. And I pulled out the cash this time, 250 US dollars, and waved it in front of him and said, hey, I want to buy that painting. He said, sure, it's yours. <laughs> and I bought the painting. And, um, and I bought that home and, and showed the Lord, look what I bought, look what I bought. And she was uh, uh, just devastated by the fact that I'd bought this painting and spent 250 good dollars on... Uh, you know, that wasn't Australian dollars or New Zealand dollars, that was US dollars, you know, and they're worth a little bit more than ours. So, and uh, for a little while it was kind of tucked away under the bed or in the garage or somewhere else like that. And then I, a few years later, got in contact with the, the, the artist through Facebook, connected with him, and asked him, How much is your painting worth? Now, when you ask the artist how much their painting's worth, I know that it's going to be inflated, you know, but. When he comes back and says about eight and a half thousand dollars, I own half that. 
and I'm pretty happy with that, you know. Like, so suddenly now Lenore presents it back to me as her birthday gift. She actually wrapped it up, reframed it, and presented my painting that I already paid for to me as a birthday present. So her birthday, I gave her a lawnmower. <laughs> no, not really, but I was tempted, let me tell you. <laughs> or an old toothbrush or something like that. But here is a painting. Up here, is it behind me there? Can you see the painting? It's, it's on its way, it's on its way. There it is. Don't you think that's a beautiful painting? <laughs> Some of you are going, oh, yeah, I can see what Lenore thought of the <laughs> painting. <laughs> I don't know why it went in the garage. And, but uh, this is a painting that I bought 25 years ago for 250 US dollars. It's worth, by the artist's mouth, $8,500. I like that painting because it reminded me of my primary school days when I used to be an up-and-coming artist. You know, when you do six months of art and then six months of sewing and another six months of cooking. Well, I, I was doing that. And they taught me that there are three primary colors in painting, and that is the yellow, blue, and red. They're three primary colors. And from those three primary colors, every painting is created. And all a master needs are red, blue, and yellow. That's all they need, and they can create every primary color and tertiary color and paint every shade of color that you could ever imagine from those three primary colors. And so I, I was thinking about this and I thought about how the color gets drained out of our world and how God wants to put the color back and how all a master needs are these three primary colors, yellow, blue, and red. And so I wondered about what it would be like if God is the master artist, if we are his masterpiece, and that's what the Bible calls us, we are God's creation, we are his masterpiece. If God had blue, and there's the blue, or he had, I should have undone these while I had the time before, yellow. Oh, isn't that great, yellow and blue? Doesn't that make you want to be an artist? So, but the reality is every single painting that you see in the world, every masterpiece starts with those three colors. That's it. That's all a master needs. And from those three primary colors comes every piece of art that you have ever laid eyes on comes from these three primary colors. And they mix and match them and do shades and all of that kind of stuff. And they create it. And that painting reminded me of this. And then Corinthians 13, 13 reminded me that God also wants to use three primary colors to create color in our life and to create the masterpiece that is you and I. And that's faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these, the Bible says, is love. And so Corinthians teaches us that for God to do what he needs to do in your life, all he needs is faith, hope, and love. And with those three elements... He can do whatever he wants to do in your life and in my life. But he needs faith, hope, and love to be able to do it. Can you imagine an artist starting with an empty palette? He can be the greatest artist in the world. He can be the, 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 the most amazing painter that you've ever seen. But if it's empty, there's nothing he can do. It's only when he's presented with yellow, blue, and red that he can then begin to do what he knows he can do and what he desires to do. And let me suggest to you tonight that it is the same for you and I in our life. That God is there every day holding out his palette. And he's saying, come on, 
present to me faith, hope, and love on that palette and watch me use those things to create what I want to create in your life. And so our job as Christians is simply to give God those primary elements that he needs in our life and we need in our life for him to create what he wants to do in your life. So I realized that while I was traveling through this journey of motor neuron disease, I had to come to a place where I recognized that God needed me to present to him daily faith, hope, and love. And when I could present to him faith, hope, and love, then color could come back into my life. But without those elements, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love, there's nothing that God can do. Now, a lot of us say, is there anything impossible for God? And we go, no, there's nothing impossible for God. Well, there, is, there are things impossible for God. He can't sleep. He can't sin. And, and the reality is he responds to our response towards him. And so he needs to have these elements presented to him, faith, hope, and love. And so I want to talk about those three elements tonight. What does that actually mean? What, the, what does it mean for God to have faith? Well, Hebrew, or us to present God with faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Is that hassle in you? Is that better? It is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, that doesn't say that it's hard to please God without faith. It says it's impossible to please God without faith. So if you don't come to God each day with faith, and let me tell you what that faith means. The Greek word for faith literally means, are you going to move those so I don't squirt them on my shirt? Mm -hmm. No, that's fine. Oh, I'll put some on your little pulpit table here too. Be careful. And so the, the Greek word for faith is confidence and trust. And so I learned that in the midst of my journey with motor neuron disease, while God has not yet healed me or they haven't found a cure, then I need to, to bring color back into my life to find self-worth and significance again, even though I didn't have any job or anything like that, that I needed to present to God every day my trust and confidence in Him. And that doesn't mean I understand, God, what you're doing in my life. But it does mean even though I don't understand what you're doing or understand what I'm going through right now, I trust you and I put my full confidence in you. The Bible says that we, we lean on Him and believe in Him. We lean on Him. We, we, we count on Him. And so you and I have to come before God and go, God, today I trust you. I put my confidence in you. I have faith in you. When I was a, a kid, I was going to high school at the age of 13. My mum and dad split up. I was going to Pennyhills High School, and when we went and lived with my mum, we moved to Top Ride. Well, that meant I'd have to get a bus, a train, another bus to go to high school, or I would have to change schools. I didn't want to change schools, so every morning, a bus, a train, another bus, and every afternoon, a bus, a train, another bus. Well, we were spending money on train tickets that we could have spent on lollies. But you needed a train ticket. Now, this is in the days before Opal cards and all those other kind of things. These were actually paper tickets with the date stamped on them, and they were different colors. And so you'd go to the counter. 
you'd give your money and he'd tear the ticket and you'd carry that ticket to your destination. And when you arrived, you'd walk through a little gate and there'd be an attendant there. I know this is old school, old fashioned, uh, but there'd be an attendant there. No cameras, nothing, just an attendant. And you'd hand the attendant the ticket and you'd walk through. Well, some days the attendant was not there. And so people, the work people come through and they just screw up their ticket and throw it on the ground. So us kids thought we could grab those tickets and use them on another day. Then we could spend our money on ice creams and lollies and all of that other kind of stuff rather than wasting it on tickets. And so we would pick up the tickets and we would put them in our pocket and we would use them on another day. But who knows when we were sitting on that train going towards our destination that we were not as confident in that ticket as we were in the ones that we had bought that day. Because they were yesterday's tickets or last week's ticket, and we just were not that confident with yesterday's ticket. Not only that, it was somebody else's ticket. We didn't even pay for it. But do you know what? A lot of us Christians are operating on yesterday's faith. We're kind of, oh, well, God, I put my trust in you 12 months ago or three months ago or one month ago, and, and, and that hasn't changed. And God says, no, 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 every day you need to put trust and confidence in me. You need to renew in your life and in my life this relationship of trust and confidence in God. And worse than that, many times we're living off other people's faith. It's like we come to church and we want the pastor to give us a great word and oh, then, we can, then we can face another week where, where God's going, no, 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 you've got to get into the word yourself. Build confidence and faith in me through the word so that you have your own relationship with God. And, and you know, you, you, as, as hard as it might be for you to hear my story and me to hear yours, the reality is I will step off this platform tonight and go home tomorrow and the next day and the next day and I have to live with the valley of the shadow of death for my life, and you have to live it for yours. So my faith is not going to be any good for you. Your faith has got to get you through tomorrow, and it's your faith and your confidence in God that is going to cause you to be able to walk in the way that God wants you to walk. And so it's incredibly important that we don't lose that faith and confidence in God, that, that trust in God where we trust Him with our, with our lives and with our hearts. That we, and as I said, we don't necessarily understand. We don't have all the answers to the questions that we have. And, you know, we kind of think, God, I'd rather not be walking through this valley or sitting in this fire or whatever it might be. But God, if I'm going to, then I'm going to trust you in the midst of it. I'm going to be with you in the midst of it and trust you in the midst of it no matter what happens. Because sometimes the answers to our prayer is no. Like I, I want to, uh, you know, I'm praying for healing. I know thousands of other people are praying for my healing. But to be honest and real with you, I mean, this is real life. I went to the bathroom and it says real men. <laughs> you know, so, so you better, you know, I better be real. And, and I want to be real with you tonight. Tonight, if you were to ask me, Phil, are you healed? I go, oh, yeah, well, you know, I am healed according to Isaiah, you know, and by his stripes I am healed. And, but I know what you're asking. You're asking me, no, do you continue to carry motor neuron disease in your body? And the reality is the answer to that is no or not yet. I'm still believing for healing. I'm still believing that a cure may come. 
but right now the answer is no. But I want to tell you, not all of our answers, all of our prayers are answered in the affirmative. And yet, behind every negative answer from God is an affirmative. In other words, behind every, every time God says no, there is a yes behind his no that we have to discover. And it's only when we trust him and have confidence in him that we will ever discover that yes. Let me take you to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, I want to take you not to the Son of God, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke light and there was light, but I want to take you to the man, Jesus, who was 100% human, and in his 100% humanity, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane crying sweats of blood and saying, Father, if there is any other way but the cross, then please, not this way. And the Father said, well, there is no other way but the cross. And then Jesus said, then not my will. Listen to what he said. He says, not my will. What does that mean? That his will was different to the Father's will at that moment. His human will, his humanity, he said, I don't want to die. I don't want to get nails through my hands and through my feet and a thorn on my head and a spear through my side. In his humanity, he said, God, no, but not my will. Your will be done. In other words, even though he wasn't getting what he wanted to get, he said, Father, I trust you. I rely on you. I depend on you. I have confidence that you know what you're doing. And I want to tell you tonight that the no that Jesus got 2,000 years ago was your yes. The reason he said no to Jesus is because he was saying yes to you. He's saying, Jesus, no, you, you've got to go to the cross. Oh, why? Because Phil Camden needs saving. Graham needs saving. You need, uh, all of us need a yes from God, and we are his yes. And so trust and confidence is saying, God, behind your no, there is a yes. And we have to find that yes. And for me, that yes, and for Lenore, that yes was, was Neil, who got diagnosed. I talked to you about him. He got diagnosed a year after me. He was a minor, tats, big, burly guy, singlets, NRL shorts, Kawasaki motorbike. He was a tough Aussie deal, real deal. A year after I was diagnosed, he comes into the motor neuron disease group, and nine months after that, he gives his life to Jesus in his lounge room, and six months after that, I'm standing over his grave, and we're officiating at his funeral. 700 people turn up at his funeral from the bike club, from the surfing club, from all that, and I'm taking his funeral and telling them that Neil is no longer here, but is in heaven. Not only that, it's a gentleman by the name of Lloyd who we met for the first time when we went to motor neuron disease and we went into Lloyd's room and, and into his lounge room. Lenore and I were there and, and that day Lloyd accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Two weeks later, Lloyd dies and we're standing over his grave in Gilgandra telling everyone there that Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Any man who believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. Lloyd is not here. He's in the presence of Jesus. So my no has been Lloyd's yes and Neil's yes. And sometimes we are so quick to get out of the valley that we're in, we don't have time to look around and see that there are other people in the same valley as us who need the faith that we have 
in Jesus Christ. And if we weren't in this valley, then who would be their light? If we weren't in this darkness, then who would show them light? And I want to challenge you tonight. Instead of, hey, am I believing for my healing? Yes, like Paul believed that he would get set free from prison. But he was not so taken up with getting set free that he didn't witness to the prison guards while he was there. He wasn't in the corner going, oh, Jesus, set me free. God, let me out. No, he was trusting God, that God had everything under control. And while he was in prison, he spoke life to those who were there. And it's the same with you and I. If we could have the opportunity to say, God, what do you want me to do in the midst of this fire, in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this challenge, in the midst of this valley of the shadow of death, can surely goodness and mercy follow me? What a great shadow to change the shadow of death to a shadow of goodness and mercy. Why? Because we have faith and confidence in God that he knows what he's doing. And so then, what, what are some of the other, other things? What are, what are some of the other colors, other elements that we use? And if faith is yellow and, and faith brings victory and it's confidence and trust in God, then, then there's hope as well. And this is what it says about hope, 1 Peter 3.15. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer. Listen to this. Always be prepared to give an answer. So the assumption is, Someone's asked you a question. Because you don't give an answer unless someone's asked you a question. So always be ready to give an answer to those who ask you to give the reason for the hope that is in you. You know why some of us never get asked a question? Because they can't see the hope. <laughs> They're never going to ask you about the hope that's in you because you're walking around as miserable as them. You know, you walk, you go to work, oh, the weekend sucked, you know, oh, wasn't the weather putrid, oh, how hot is this, you know, did you see the petrol prices this week, oh, man, life sucks. You know, we're sucking on lemons as much as they are, of course they're not going to go, wow, give me reason for the hope that you have. They've got to see something different in us that creates the question. That creates the environment where they're going, wow, you know what? You're living in the same pain as we're living in. You live in the same uh, 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 unanswered questions of life and reality that we live in, but you're living with a, a sense of hope and destiny in God. And they begin to ask what that is. You know, while we've been diagnosed with motor neuron disease and, you know, we go to the John Hunter. I have specialists at Macquarie University Hospital in Sydney, but... We go to the John Hunter, I go to the breathing and the speech therapy and all of that kind of stuff. One of the, the professors there said, Phil, would you come and speak to our graduating doctors at the John Hunter Hospital? <laughs> graduating hospital. I said, sure, what do you want me to speak on? Well, we want, you to, the, we want you to tell your story about how the neurologist told you about it. How do you feel the moment he told you? What did you think about the way he told you about it? You know, what, 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 what did it make you feel like? And, and then he said, then answer any questions that they may have or that the other two professors might ask. And so I said, sure. Lenore and I came. We, we sat down, answered their question, told them, hey, don't let people leave 
the, the practice without leaf, giving them a brochure or something. Don't just leave them with no hope. Give them a piece of paper or telephone number or anything that they can go and ring. Or, and we talked about the practicalities of that. And then the professor said, Phil, uh, I hear that you were a pastor of a church and you're no longer a pastor because of the motor neuron disease. How do you balance the whole concept of God being good and loving and, and yet you've got motor neuron disease? And so I looked at him and I said, before I answer this question, remember, you asked the question. <laughs> so there's no political correctness here. I don't have to worry about the people with turbans on or anything, you know, like, I'm just going to go for it here. And Lenore and I, we just went for it. We just gave them the gospel as much as we can, talked about the cross and the resurrection and you name it. We just, you know, he might not have asked specifically everything that I talked about, but politicians do it. They never answer the same question that's been asked. And you know what? We, we thought, well, that was great. You know what? He asked us back the following year. Asked us back. And he said, now this time, Phil, he said, no holes barred. You tell them anything you want about your faith and about your God and about what you're believing for and all of that kind of stuff. So what, what is that? That's, they're seeing a hope. And you know what? A lot of us put a hope in our relationships, a hope in the church family, a hope in our finances, a hope in this, a hope in a cure. But I'm not just talking about that hope. I'm not talking about a, a worldly hope that the world can give and go, hey, I hope there's a cure around the corner. I'm talking about a hope that is eternal. A hope that goes beyond the cure into heaven and eternity. That says, hey, no matter what happens here, no matter what happens, if I die, I die. But there is heaven and eternity that my life is anchored to. And no matter what this world can do to me, it can't rob me of my eternal destination, which is heaven and eternity. And look, I don't want to shock you any of you here today, but you're as terminal as me. You are. Uh, see, healing is not the issue. Death is the issue. Have you dealt with the reality that one day you are going to stop breathing and you don't know when that day is? None of us do. I could get healed today and hit by a bus tomorrow. Wouldn't that be great? You know, get healed. Go, wow, I'm healed. Dancing in the street and the bus comes and wipes you out. <laughs> He's healed for half an hour. Got so excited he ran in front of the bus. But the, tr the truth is, we have to deal with the reality of death. And that's what I, you see, when motor neuron was spoken over my life, I went into this darkness, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And then I thought, of course I'm going to die. <laughs> when was I not going to die? And that's why I became a Christian, because Jesus defeated the power of sin and death. And he took away the sting and the power of that death over our lives. So I can live with this hope that is eternal. It's a hope that you and I, we, we need to grab a hold of. Jesus didn't just die so that you could have a better car, a better house, a better spouse. Well, uh, no, you don't need a better spouse, but he didn't die so you could just have all of this stuff. He said, all these things will be added unto you, but seek first the kingdom of God. In other words, let your focus be on heaven and eternity. You know the Bible says that this hope that we have purifies our heart. It actually, if we would just stay constantly as a reminder that every day we put blue on the palette and say, God, 
one day I'm going to die, but I'm going to be with you in heaven and eternity. And whatever happens to me today, God, if the worst thing happens to me and that's my death, then I will be in your presence today. Because none of us know. A guy traveling down the road here, 19 years old, gets a puncher in his, in his car, pulls over to the side of the road, changes the wheel, a car comes by and kills him. Does his mum and dad know that that day when he said goodbye to them, that he wouldn't be coming back for dinner? No. We have to deal with the reality that death is coming to all of us. Aren't you glad this is the last Sunday night of the year's <laughs> life? So thanks, Pastor Lottie. What an encouraging guy that was. <laughs> well, well, now you're going to go to work on Monday and go, man, the weekend sucked. Right? I'm glad. <laughs> oh, this guy talk, told me I'm going to die. Hebrews 6.19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. You know, when you get all your prayers answered, you're not going to need faith and hope. It's while, it's while we're in the midst of unanswered prayer. Isn't that true, that we need faith and hope in God? In fact, I think one of the reasons why the Bible says that love is the greatest is because in heaven, you don't need hope and faith. Because faith has been fulfilled, hope has been seen. We, we're standing before our Savior. We don't have to have faith in Him anymore. Why? Because we can touch Him and hug Him and feel Him and see Him. Our faith has been rewarded in heaven and eternity. But this leaves me with our last concept, and that is, that is love. That we need to get to the place where every day it's not just that we're saying, God, we love you but that we understand the depths of God's love for us. That because I have motor neuron disease and lost my job and lost my income and lost my vision and direction and lost the color out of my life, that somehow God stopped loving me. And that worse than that, that God was punishing me because he didn't love me. That we have to deal with all of those things, the, the torment of, of our mind answering for us some of the deep questions that we can't even answer and sometimes the conclusion is then God doesn't love me as much as he loved you because look at your life and what why is my life turned upside down why has my life been drained of all of its color and and so we can question God's love for us but how dare we question the love of God when he first loved us before we even loved him or knew him that John says not just that God loves us, but that God is love. He's the epitome of love. He is the essence of love itself. And so God doesn't love me any less today than he loved me before, motor neuron disease. And I need to come to the place where I can soak and understand the love of God that is towards me. You know, when... when uh, when we plan, when I, I love road trips, I mean, I love road trips. I love just jumping in the car and going for a drive and just getting out and, and really sometimes having no destination. I love the Pacific Coast Highway from San Francisco to LA and back, and I've done that a few times now. And I love driving out here to the Grey Gum Cafe on Putty Road and, and all of those things. I, I love getting out there, but the thing is, when. Well, 
when I go on a trip, you do want to go, okay, well, are there people I want to see on the, road, on the way? Is there a fast way or a more picturesque way? And so on the way, we look at which is the best way to go on a road trip. Well, this is what 1 Corinthians 13 starts with. It actually starts in chapter 12 of verse 31. It says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. And then he says, the most excellent way for you to live your life is with faith, hope, and love. And the most excellent of the excellent way is love. There is no better way to live your life than living your life with a sense that God loves you. No matter what it is that you're going through right now, His love is not diminished. His love is not being removed. He just loves you. And one of the hardest things about this is that we think we've got to earn God's love. But we never earned our salvation. It's by grace and it's a gift of God. So there's no way that we can earn the love that God has for us. What we need to do is learn how to rest in that love and receive that love on a daily basis. And until we lay that on God's palate, he can't use that color. Until you come and say, God, it's not just that I love you, God. It's that I understand that even in the midst of my torment and trial, even in the midst of my pain and unanswered questions, you love me. And you gave yourself for me. The depth of that love has to envelop you. It has to cover you and saturate you. Otherwise, you'll never understand the, the fullness of it and the depth of it. You know, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, the Bible says. Never leave you nor forsake you. You know, I thought that was just a repeat. You know, I'll never leave you nor leave you. You know, it's like saying exactly the same thing with two different words. I'll never leave you or forsake you means I'll never leave you and you need to know I'll never leave you. But you know what the Hebrew means? It means that he'll never leave you, but also that he'll never forsake you means that he will never think less of you even while you can do less for him. In other words, I got to the stage and said, God, what is there to love for me? I'm no longer a pastor. I'm no longer fulfilling my calling. I'm no longer on the district. I'm no longer going to the Congo. I'm no longer building your kingdom. And God says, Phil, I'll never leave you or think less of you, even though you can do less for me. Because my love for you is not based, Phil, on what you can do for me. My love is based on what I have already done for you on the cross. So, Phil, if you never do another thing for me, my love is not diminished. I never look at you in a different light. I'll never think that you're less. I'll never regard you as less. Because you can do less. His love is not based on what we can achieve for him. He just loves us. And you know, when Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done, his, Jesus came to the place and said, you know what? This is just not about me. It's about others. And that's what love is. Love is you going through what you're going through and saying, God, what about me? What, man, motor neuron disease. Why me? What are you trying to teach me? You know what God says? He says, it's got nothing to do with you. 
you egotistical little brat. It's got to do with others who have motor neuron disease. Just as much as when Jesus died on the cross had more to do about us than it had to do about him. Because God loved us and gave himself for us. And so when you're going through your tough times, when, you, when you're dealing with the circumstances of life, begin to understand that God wants to love you so that through you, listen to this, you can love others. With the comfort that you are comforted by, you can comfort others. With the love that you receive from Him, then you can love others. This is not about you, people. It's about those who are in your world who need to understand the love of God for themselves. Need to discover the love of God for themselves. We go back to the painting. Is it still there? Let's go back to the painting. I'm finishing in about another hour and a half. <laughs> no, I'm finishing real soon. Can you imagine walking into the, his name's Toomey. He's, he's a Muslim, follow, reads all of my Fridays with Phil Bloss, reads all of my Facebook, sends me flowers, you know, on Facebook, all this kind of stuff. And it is an amazing relationship that we've got with this guy who 25 years ago, I didn't even know. I just bought his painting off the wall. But you can imagine if I walked in on him 25 years ago, he would have been 25 years younger than he is now, and I would have walked in, and he would have been going, and I would have gone, to me. is there a plan B for your career? <laughs> like, this is a mess, man. Like, what, what are you doing, you know? And he was... I am, uh, have I finished? You know, I, I think that's what we do with God. He's kind of, with the, with the faith, hope, and love that we present every day, he mixes it, and, and at the end of the day, you kind of think, what was that? <laughs> what, what are you, God, what are you doing? You, you know what you're doing in my life? I mean... The church was booming, that everything was going so well, and, and God, you have no idea, you have no clue. You call yourself the master. You, you call me a masterpiece? God, but you know what? He's not finished with me yet. And I'm telling you, if you're still breathing, I mean in and out, then he's not finished with you either. And the worst thing we can do is stop him halfway through. And he would be like, to me, say, to me Phil, just, can you just wait? The master is at work here. And I want to close with this and tell you that the master is at work there and there. He's at work in your life. But he has to use what you present to him, faith, hope, and love. Without those three primary Areas of life and trust in him. He can't move. He can't operate. He can't do what he wants to do with what he has to do in your life. And I want you to see that every day as you, and it doesn't have to be, oh, I've got to be in a corner, kind of, faith, hope, and love, faith, hope, and love. You can be in the car, drive around, and say, God, today I trust you with my life. 
God, I receive the reality of your love in me. I know I, I'm, I told you, God, I love you, but today I'm just letting you know I, I sense your love for me today. I receive your love into my life. I receive the love that you had for me when Jesus died on the cross as being as real today in my life as it was 2,000 years ago. You know what that does to a person when you say to that person, I receive your, I don't just love you, but I receive your love. Imagine what that does to God when you do that. And I have faith and confidence in you, God, that you know what you're doing. And you can be driving along, you can be sitting in the bus, you can be walking the streets, and you know what? God will then bring the color back into your world, whatever that is. While every eye is closed, every head bowed, I, I would be wrong to assume that everyone in this place was in a place where today they can say, well, I trust God, because you go, well, I don't really know this God that you're talking about. I don't understand the concept of, of God's love for me. You talk about God loving me and you talk about God dying for me and he rose from the dead and he wants to forgive my sin and come into my life and, and yet feel I, I haven't even begun that journey yet. I want to trust him. I want to know his love. I, I want to put my hope in heaven and eternity. I want to know that the day that I stop breathing that I will be in heaven because of what God has done for me. And, and yet I'm not sure about that, Phil. I don't know that I will be. I, I'm not confident that if I was to die that I would be in heaven. I, I, I don't know that I've experienced God's love. I mean, you tell me that God loves me, but I haven't received him into my life. I haven't received his love. If that's you today, or, or maybe you did, but because of dark circumstances, because of difficult trials and, and tests, you, you've kind of withdrawn from your relationship with God. You've lost the ability to trust Him because of the circumstances or what we sung about, the waves and the storms that come. And you need to renew your love and trust in Him tonight. Then I want to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to come out the front. Just where you're sitting, I want you to Raise your hand in a moment and just say, Phil, when you close this meeting in prayer, I want you to pray that prayer for me. I want to experience God's peace and God's love in my life. I want to be able to trust Him again or trust Him for the first time. I want to be able to experience the reality of His love for me. And I want to be able to bring color back into my world because quite frankly the stress and the trial has removed it I want it to come back if that's you tonight right now whether for the very first time you're saying yes to God or you're recommitting your life right now just where you're sitting just raise your hand and say Phil pray for me I want to make sure God bless you anybody else right now just join those that raise their hand, God bless you. Anybody else? Three, four. Anybody else? Right now. God bless you. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. One, two, three, four, five. Anybody else? Right now. Just say, yeah. Six. God bless you. God bless you. Up the back there. God bless you here. God bless you, young man. 
people raising their hands. Now I want everyone to stand where they're standing. Everyone, even those that raise their hands, just everyone stand just for a moment with me. I'm going to ask you to do something really strange, but not that weird, okay? I want you to hold your hand out in front of you. Close your eyes. Just hold your hand out like a pallet. And I want to pray for you. Let me just pray this very simple prayer. And I want to see it. I want you to see. I want you to visualize as I'm praying this prayer that you are putting your faith and trust and confidence in God like you're squeezing that faith onto the pallet. You're squeezing hope. I believe in heaven and eternity. You're squeezing love, saying, God, I know you love me and I receive your love today. Let's, let me pray for you. Father, I just pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would cause each and every one of us tonight to walk away from this place with a new understanding of faith, hope, and love. That we would put our trust and confidence in you. That we would begin to believe that heaven and eternity are ours. That our hope goes beyond our pay packet. Our hope goes beyond our job. Our hope goes beyond our cure. Our hope goes beyond our healing. Our hope is in heaven and eternity. And it's anchored. And God, I pray that tonight people might experience the reality of your love for them. That they might know it deep down in their hearts that you love them. That from this night on, there would be no question of your love for them, but they would just know that they know that they know that you love them. And it's not because they can do stuff. It's just because you have done stuff. It's because what you have done and not we, what we can do. We can't earn your love, but it's just a gift. You love us. And now I want everyone to pray this prayer for those who raise their hand. Those who raise their hand, pray this prayer out of the sincerity of your own heart. But everyone join them. Very quick prayer. But the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. Let's pray this prayer. God, we come to you tonight. And I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you for your son. And Jesus, I thank you that you were obedient to the Father. That you laid down your own will for the will of the Father. That you gave your life for us. You died and rose again. Jesus, I ask you, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. I make you my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless your church. You may be seated or stand, whatever you want. So, thanks, mate. Uh, very good. Thank you, Phil. Yeah, you can take a seat just quickly. Don't want to lean on this. I'll get pain on my... Very good. I could listen to Phil speak all night. I don't know about you, but um, that was so good, Phil. Really good. I love um, how God is using you. 
It's inspiring. A great honour for us to have you with us tonight, isn't it, church? Great. And um, can we put the, um, oh, you guys might be in the way of it, but that's all right. The Fridays with Phil, I just want to draw attention to that. Is it monthly now, Phil? Monthly on a Friday. There's a Fridays with Phil vlog. I think there's a screen of it, hopefully. If not, Google FridaysWithPhil.com and it'll come up. Um, Just a great thing to subscribe to. Phil does a blog and it's always full of great truth and inspiration and it's reaching people around the world because of it. So um, it's there. There it is. Primary Colors. FridaysWithPhil.com. I think you can connect on through Facebook as well. It would just be a great way to, um, to stay in touch with what God is doing through Phil. Phil's life. So thank you uh, again, Phil. For those of you that um, made that awesome decision to accept Jesus into your life tonight, we just we have something for you, and we don't want you to leave without without it. So if you'd like to come and see myself, or you can see is Tammy at the back. Is that you? Tammy's at the back. Give us a wave. Just grab a um, grab one of us. We'd just like to connect with you and make sure that you've got some support around you for this amazing decision that you've made tonight. And um, we don't want you to have to do that journey alone, but we want to get beside you and help you and encourage you and connect you with other people that will encourage you along your way. So it'd be great if you could do that tonight. Well, we are done, done and dusted for the year. As, as Phil said, thank you for coming out tonight. Feel free to hang around and chat and talk. Let's thank Phil once again for, for being with us tonight, sharing. And... Um, Thank you, church. We're going to just finish it right there. So feel free to go if you need to go. But like I said, hang around and chat and um, be great. Don't forget Tuesday, 6th of December as well, that important night here at church. Thank you, everyone.